Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bill Goodwin. We realize the tenseness of the situation, and this program will be interrupted instantly for any important invasion flashes. Meanwhile, Lever Brothers, makers of Swan Soap, thought you might enjoy a momentary diversion in the form of a few chuckles with George Burns and Gracie Allen, Jimmy Cash, the Swan Cat, and Felix Mills and his orchestra. Meets the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, it's morning in the Burns home, and while Gracie sits her after breakfast coffee, George stares gloomily into space. On his plate are a couple of untouched cold fried eggs, which look much happier than he does. Now, you haven't eaten a thing, dear. Don't you want some nice eggs? No. They're very fresh. No, thanks. They're less than 24 hours old. I just fried them yesterday morning. <laughs> I can't eat. What's the matter, George? Does your darling little head ache? No. Is there a pain in your precious little chest? No. Does your tiny little back hurt? No. Is there an ache in your great big... No. <laughs> Sometimes your feet do bother you. Oh, I'm not sick. I'm just discouraged because I'm a failure. You are not. Oh, yes, I am. You married a poor, miserable, broken-down flop. Oh, nonsense. You're just repeating what you hear. <laughs> it's true. I'm a complete bust. First, I ran for political office and got one vote, my own. And you told me Harry James wanted me to sing with his band, and that was a mistake. A mistake which Harry James will regret. You have a gorgeous voice. Oh, let's face it. Got a voice like an owl with asthma. <laughs> That's not true. You have the voice of a songbird. Why, it's as though a nightingale flew down your throat and laid an egg there. <laughs> You're such a comfort to me. And I always will be. What if you can't be in politics? What if you can't sing with Harry James? There are dozens of things you can do well. So cheer up. What things, for instance? So cheer up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whenever I feel low, I go down and buy myself a new hat, and then I feel better. Maybe that would make you feel better. I doubt it. Well, it's worth trying. I'll go right down and buy myself a new hat. Never mind. <laughs> I'll answer the door. Good morning, Mr. Postman. Good morning, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> Delicious morning, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is lovely. Oh, nature is in a playful mood today. I gave way to an impulse myself, impetuous boy that I am. Oh, what did you do? I kept thinking how wonderful it would be to let the breeze caress my bare skin. And finally, I could resist no longer. Mr. Postman, you didn't. Yes. I took off my cap. <laughs> well, here's your mail, Mrs. Murray. Oh, thank you. Maybe this will cheer my husband up. Hey, wait a minute. This mail is for Donna Shaw. Oh, dear. Did I get it mixed up again? You see, your number is 202 Cannon Drive, and hers is 220. Oh, yes, I know it's confusing. We even get packages belonging to Donna Shaw. <laughs> The other day, George unwrapped a package and it was a size 26 girdle. 
Oh, that's rich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dad wears a party, too. Well, I guess there's no mail today. Goodbye, Mrs. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. Who was it, Gracie? The postman, dear. Oh, swell. Any mail for me? Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It was all for dinosaur again. Oh, nuts. I wish people would learn that we live at 202 Cannon Drive and she lives at 220. Anyway, that shows you how important I am. The only, the only, the only mail I get belongs to somebody else. Oh, well, don't you worry. You'll soon be getting plenty. What do you mean? Well, I know how much you enjoy getting mail. So to make you happy, I opened accounts at seven new stores. I'm delirious. Well, our hero's feeling pretty miserable. He's convinced that life is a sham and a mockery. But at this very moment in Kansas City, Missouri, big things are shaping up for our miserable little hero. Let's listen in on a meeting of the Kansas City Chamber of Commerce. Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, the votes have been tabulated, and I'm pleased to report that Miss Dinah Shore has been chosen Kansas City's favorite singer. Uh, Mr. Secretary, send a telegram to Dinah Shore inviting her to be guest of honor next Tuesday night at the opening of our fifth war loan drive. Uh, do you have her address? Uh, yes, sir. It's uh, 202 Cannon Drive, Los Angeles. Or is it uh, 220? I think it's 202. Yes, that's right. I'll send it to Dinah Shore, 202 Cannon Drive. Oh, wait. Let's not be so formal. Let's show Dinah how we really feel about her. Just address the wire to Kansas City's favorite singer... 202 Cannon Drive, Los Angeles. George? What? Please don't pout anymore. It warps your little rosebud mouth. All out of shape. I can't help it. Well, I know what would cheer you up. The sound of your own glorious singing. I'll never sing again. Oh, please, darling. Unlock those little silver tonsils and just blast Mama right off her chair. No. Oh, please, George. Just let me hear one beautiful flute-like note. Oh, that was the prettiest one you ever heard. That was the door buzzer. Oh. Come in. Telegram. Oh, thank you. George, give the boy a tip. Here you are, son. Keep the change. Gee, thanks. That'll pay my rent. On a phone booth for three minutes. George! George! Look at this wire. I told you you were great. What is it? Great, you've been chosen Kansas City's favorite singer, and they want you to sing there at the opening of their big war bond rally. Wow, Kansas City's favorite singer. Yeah, and look what else it says. Many thanks and a big hug and kiss from the mayor. <laughs> They must have women doing everything in Kansas City. Oh, George, George, this is wonderful. And I'm so glad that Kansas City will be the scene of your big triumph. <laughs> Remember what else happened in Kansas City, darling? Sure. That's where we got married. Yeah. That's where a certain tall, handsome man slipped the ring on my finger. Yeah. And then you paid him for the ring and we got married. 
Kansas City's favorite singer. Oh, Kansas City, here I come. Jimmy Cash, our young tenor, sings for you the romantic ballad, Amour. Amour, amour, amour. This word so sweet that I repeat means I adore you. inviting Dinah Shore to sing in Kansas City next week was mistakenly delivered to George Burns. The telegram was addressed to Kansas City's favorite singer, so that was good enough for George. Gee, Kansas City's favorite singer. Oh, Kansas City, here I come. Right. George. Back. George. Where? George. I George. Have George. <laughs> Saying. They don't appreciate you in this town. Don't let another golden note stick out of that precious little throat until we get outside the Los Angeles city limits. Well, isn't that a little selfish? No. It'll serve the people right. They, they didn't want you when they had you. So now we'll just walk out and they'll be stuck here with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and Nelson Eddy and Dennis Morgan. Yeah, and Dinah Shaw. Yeah. I don't see them being chosen the favorite of any city. That's right. Oh, Kansas City, here I come. Right. Judge. A bag. Judge. Oh, where? Judge. Judge, stop singing. Don't throw that glorious stuff around here anymore. Hollywood doesn't even deserve a hum. Maybe you're right. Certainly. They didn't even have the decency to put your footprints in the concrete at Grauman's Chinese. Well, I'll bet after Kansas City has heard you sing, they'll put you in concrete clear up to your neck. <laughs> Come in. Hi, folks. Oh, Bill, you're the first to hear the news. What? They want George in Kansas City. Well, George, don't budge unless they produce extradition papers. 
They want me to sing there. Here, look at this telegram. Well, I'll be darned. In the municipal auditorium before 12,000 people. George, this is important. You said it. Hand me that phone. Hello? Hello, long distance? Uh, would you get me the municipal auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri? What's the idea? Well, I'm checking up on that auditorium. You can't just sing any place. Bill, it's great. Tibbet sings there. Nelson Eddy. Martinelli. Well, those guys aren't George Burns. I gotta know it's right. Uh, hello? Is this the manager of the municipal auditorium in Kansas City? Yes. Well, would you please step into the washroom and see if there's plenty of swan soap there? <laughs> Give me that phone. Well, George, you, you know you'd be lost without Swan. After all, it's the new white floating soap that's four soaps in one. Bill, why don't you pack up and go to Kansas City with us? Oh, Gracie, I, well, I don't know. Well, there are lots of pretty women there. Well, Gracie, pretty women don't bother me. No? No, but maybe they will in Kansas City. Let's go. <laughs> I can show them how to wash dishes with Swan. Just wait till they get a load of those Swan sets. Okay, Bill, run home and get packed. She's Kansas City's favorite singer. I still can't figure out how they happened to pick me. Well, George, I guess Kansas City is proud of the fact that you're a native son. And I'm a native of New York. That's what Kansas City is proud of. <laughs> See you later, folks. Oh, don't mind him, dear. You're a success now. Greater even than Sinatra. You think so? For sure. Sinatra's had his day. Now it's your turn to hold America in the hollow of your chest. <laughs> I guess so. Well, I... I think I'll go and do a little packing. Come in. Why, Tootsie Shag. Hello, Gracie. Oh, Tootsie, have you heard the news? George and I are going to Kansas City. Kansas City? Oh, I've been corresponding with a man there. You have? Uh -huh. I met him through the Lonely Hearts Correspondence Club. Why, Tootsie. How romantic. Yes. He sent me a postcard, and then I sent him a postcard. He sent me a letter, and then I sent him a letter. He sent me his picture, and then I sent him my picture. Gracie, what's holding up the mail from Kansas City? <laughs> well, Tootsie, maybe your picture was lost. Why don't you have another one taken in a bathing suit? You know, like Betty Grable. Oh, well, I couldn't look like Betty Grable. She's so, so curvy. Well, not as... Curvy as you. <laughs> oh, you mean Well, it? sure. I'll bet your shoulders are much rounder. <laughs> Gracie, I wish I could go to Kansas City with you so I could find that man and marry him. Oh, but I'll bet George won't let me. Well, he might, Tootsie. You see, George feels very romantic about Kansas City because that's where we spent our honeymoon. Really? Yes. Oh, what a glorious honeymoon. I've never tasted such steaks. <laughs> oh, here comes George now. I'll ask him real nice. Uh, Gracie, I think I'll run down and get the railroad ticket. Uh, hello, Georgie. Hello, kid. Uh, George, can we take Tootsie to Kansas City? What? And frighten those nice people? <laughs> I should say not. Darn it, I'll never get a husband. Oh, well, now, don't worry, Tootsie. We'll get you to Kansas City somehow. And you'll have your honeymoon there just like George and I did. Oh, gee, I hope so. Oh, oh, that reminds me, Tootsie. You know, there are certain things every young bride should know. Now, George and I have a book that we read. It, uh, it made our honeymoon a glorious experience. Would you like to borrow it? Well, well what's the book called? Fifty Card Games for Two People. <laughs> Oh, uh -huh.
orchestra with the Swantet. It's a brand new novelty called The Doodlebug Song. George has been sailing since he got that telegram addressed to Kansas City's favorite singer. Meanwhile, at the home of Kansas City's really favorite singer... Hello? Yes, this is Dinah Shore. Oh, put them on. Hello? No. No, I didn't get any telegrams. What? Kansas City's favorite singer? Well, thank you. At a bond rally? Oh, I'd love to be there. Oh, uh, how about train reservations? Oh, you have? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I can leave tonight. Okay, Kansas City, I'll be seeing you. Thanks again. Bye. And now, back to George, who was waiting in line to get his train reservations to Kansas City. His head is so far in the clouds, he doesn't notice what's happening at the ticket window ahead of him. Here you are, lady. You're lucky to get this. Oh, I know. I know. And thank you so much. This is wonderful. A railroad ticket to Pasadena. (laughs) And I only have to wait till November. Thank you. 
I'd like to get a half-fare ticket for my little boy. He's going to Albuquerque. Okay, that'll be $50. Oh, but that's the full fare. I want a ticket for a little boy. Don't worry. By the time he gets a seat on the train, he'll be a grown man. <laughs> Next. Give me two lowers to Kansas City for tonight. <laughs> Would you say that again? <laughs> Give me two lowers for Kansas City for tonight. <laughs> I guess there'll be a lot of you Republicans showing up now. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, nothing, nothing. Well, if you haven't got two lowers, a bedroom will do. Oh, a bedroom will do. Yeah. And is there any special kind of train that you'd like? Or is the kind that goes choo-choo all right? Oh, choo-choo is fine with me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now about your bed. Would you like the pillow stuffed with Kleenex? Huh? And uh, don't worry about oversleeping. We'll have the conductor come in every hour and stick a Hershey bar in your mouth. <laughs> You wouldn't be pulling my leg, would you? No, the porter will do that at Wichita. <laughs> what is this? Just give me my tickets. Are you kidding? Next. But I've got to sing in Kansas City. Next. But I've you got... You heard him say next. Scram. <laughs> okay. Now, what can I do for you, madam? My husband got sick, and I want to cancel this double bedroom to Kansas City tonight. Oh, wait. Can I buy it from you? Sure, why not? Just give me the hundred bucks. Madam, I could kiss you for this. Okay, but that'll make it two hundred. <laughs> Darn it, Gracie. There must be some way I can get to Kansas City with you. I want to get married. Hey, wait a minute. I think I've got an idea. What, Gracie? That trunk over there. You could hide in that and nobody would know a thing about it. Well, gee, it looks awfully small for a tall girl like me. Oh, nonsense. You can bend at the waist and knees, don't you? All we have to find is one more place we can bend you. <laughs> okay. If I thought it would get me a man, I'd squeeze into an empty toothpaste tube. <laughs> gee, I can... Oh, well, quick, I hear George. Get into the trunk. All right. I'll, I'll try. There. There. That's it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I bet you haven't had your feet in your mouth since you were a baby. <laughs> well, here goes. Hi, Gracie. I'm all packed. Oh, Bill, it's you. I just locked Tootsie Sagwell up in his trunk. What? Tootsie in that trunk with no air holes? Give me that key, quick. Why? I want to swallow it. Oh, Bill. <laughs> Tootsie. Well, what's the big idea, girl? Well, George doesn't want Tootsie to go to Kansas City with her, so she's going in this trunk. Well, Gracie, she can't ride clear across the desert like that. You've at least got to put some water in there for her. Hey, that's right. Well, sure, Tootsie. It gets dry and dusty, and you want to wash with swan. <laughs> Here, here's a bar of swan, the new white floating soap. Mm, Bill, all you think 
think about it, Soap. I'm going to Kansas City to be married. Yeah, Tootsie has been corresponding with a man through the Lonely Hearts Club. And now he's going to see her in person. Yes? Well, sure. Missouri is the show-me state. Well, Tootsie, you're in no state to be shown. Ah, <laughs> oh, Bill, you're just sorry that... Oh, look, here comes George. Put Tootsie into the truck. All right. Well, Gracie, I got the tickets. Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, George. I'm all packed and ready, dear. Tell them to handle this trunk carefully. There's something special in it. Gracie, we're not taking that old broken-down wreck to Kansas City. George Burns, you Pete. <laughs> huh? What's, uh, what's in the trunk? Oh. Oh, you don't know? Why, uh, it's, um, uh, uh, swan soap. Are you asking me or telling me? No, I'm telling you. It's swan soap. You never know when a little Kansas City baby might crawl up to you and ask you to bathe it with swans. Gracie. Well, swans great for bathing babies because it's so mild and gentle. Right, Bill? Right, Gracie. Look, I plan to bathe very few babies in Kansas City. <laughs> Probably not more than two or three babies tops. Oh, George, just don't bathe their tops. <laughs> Look, what's in and this... And remember, George, Swan breaks in two, right, Bill? Right, Gracie. That's so you can put half in the bathroom for your hands and face tub or shower and half in the kitchen for dishes and light laundry. This trunk is not going to Kansas City. Going to take it back to the garage. No, wait, dear. You go get your grip. I'll do it. You'll do it? Gracie, this is a heavy trunk. That's a job for a man. <laughs> well, guess that narrows it down to me. <laughs> Okay, Samson. I'll go get my grip. You're quick, Bill. Carry it out to your car and take it to the station. Yeah, all, all right, Gracie. Tootsie, Tootsie. Yes, Gracie? Tootsie, it's happening. At last, you're being carried over the threshold by Bill Goodwin. <laughs> oh, quiet. <laughs> well, Gracie, call a cab. We're on our way. Well, Kansas City, here I come. Right. George. Uh, back. George. Uh, where? George. Hi. George. Huh? George, stop singing. Those golden notes are not for Hollywood's ears anymore, remember? Oh, that's right. They haven't given you a chance in this town. All this time, your town has been right under their very noses, and they couldn't smell it. Yeah. But the people in Kansas City smells you 1,500 miles away. After, you'll hear the very latest CBS News report from the invasion. Meanwhile, here's something you can do tomorrow to help back up the men who are fighting overseas. Take that can of waste kitchen fat right over to your butchers. Waste fats are needed for sulfur drugs and other supplies to save the lives of our wounded and for bombs and ammunition to push over Hitler. Every drop of waste fat is needed now as never before. So save all you can and take all you have to your butcher tomorrow. Get at least one friend to do the same. And now here are George and Gracie. 
Oh, George, isn't it thrilling to think that we're going to Kansas City to sell war bonds? You bet it is. I hope my singing will sell them. Oh, it will. And that money will be used to buy bombs so that our flyers can lay eggs on Berlin. Yeah. Oh, just think. Every time you sing, another egg will be laid. Good night, folks. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, will bring you George and Gracie broadcasting from Kansas City, Missouri, in behalf of the Fifth War Loan Drive. Our guest will be Dinah Shore. And remember the same time every Monday and Wednesday when you'll hear two other great programs, Lux Radio Theater and Frank Sinatra. Both the same time in the evening and over the same station as Swan Soap's George Burns and Gracie Allen. Tune in every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at this same time. This program is broadcast to our servicemen and women all over the world through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Remember George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS, next Tuesday night, broadcasting from Kansas City with our guest, Dinah Shore. And now till next Tuesday, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I swan, how about you? Tonight, this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Laboratories present Raymond Massey in The Doctor Fight. Here is a doctor. That is to say, here is an enemy of pain. Here is an instrument of mercy. Here are gentle, learned, courageous hands. Here is a mind tempered in the cold flame of science. Here is a spirit disciplined to sacrifice. Here is a free man capable of victory in the valley of the shadow of death. Here is a doctor at war. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Raymond Massey. Tonight, Stanley Laboratories start a new program dedicated to doctors at war. But tonight is the night of D-Day, and our program will most certainly be interrupted for any news whatever of the progress of the battle. First, we want you to know that all of us will welcome such an interruption. Like you who are listening, there isn't one of us here in the studio who isn't represented tonight over there in France. Today was it. Today was the start of the showdown. You, our leaders, who so long and painstakingly planned for this day, you have our gratitude and devotion. You who built the planes, the ships, the weapons of liberation. You who built the men. You will soon know how well you have built. You men of medicine who go into battle with our soldiers, our humble thanks go with you. Today was the day when our sons went forth to battle, raised by us, trained by us, fed, clothed, equipped by us, all of us. There isn't one of you, or of us here in the studio, whose thoughts and prayers are not tonight concentrated on our sons, our fathers, our husbands, brothers, friends, now in battle for our very existence, for the liberation of the world. 
Thank you, Mr. Massey. Here, during the weeks ahead, we will meet many doctors. This is the first of a new series of programs dedicated to doctors. Doctors at War. Each program will tell the story of a different physician in action, some at the front, some at home. Each story will be based on factual material, but in deference to the doctors themselves, names and places have been changed. Chenley Laboratories, makers of penicillin Chenley, present these programs as testimony to the services of the American physician. Today, penicillin is available to your doctor through the cooperation of 22 great industrial organizations, including the Shenley Laboratories, which are making in the United States more penicillin than is available in all the rest of the world. Tonight's story, the first in this series presented by Shenley Laboratories, is titled Class of 38. Our narrator, Raymond Massey. begin with, let me warn you that this is a rather commonplace story. It's a story about a man who saves somebody's life, and that's all there is to it, really. And God knows saving life is commonplace enough in war. By his grace, almost as commonplace as the taking of life in war, and somewhat better blessed. On second thought, this may not be so commonplace a story after all. It may add up to something very personal, very important. Very intimate to each last one of us. Or don't you know anyone, anyone at all in uniform, who is therefore subject to the somber shocks of war? You do, inevitably? Then you are interested. Very well. I give you, then, a dark night in the South Sea, a night destitute of romance. I give you the United States Navy Task Force, invasion bombs. <laughs> Ahead. On the boat deck of the dark transport, Dr. Robert H. Roback, Medical Corps, United States Navy Reserve. The doctor is nervous. Why not? Even the seasoned, battle-tried Marines all about the ship are restless. Dr. Roback leans over the rail, gazing at the faintly phosphorescent water gliding past the ship, unaware of his senior officer suddenly at his elbow. Good evening, Dr. Roback. Huh? Oh, Oh, good evening, Dr. Rayburn. Matter of fact, it's early morning. Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. Nervous? Oh, I feel the way I did when I took my state medical board examinations at Columbus. Oh, Ohio State man. Western Reserve University. Oh, yes, I know the school. Cleveland, class of 38. Seems to me that's where Professor Dayton Miller experimented, isn't it? Oh, no, doctor. That's Case School of Applied Science right across the fence from Reserve. Oh, of course. Uh, Ancient college rivalry and all that, no doubt. No doubt. I played football before I entered medical school. Great days. No war. Nothing to worry about but grades, exams, girls, and beat case. Beat case and go to heaven. <laughs> It was important, all right, back there in the peaceful days. Beat case. Dr. Robert Roback looks along the dark deck of the troop ship. Men, men in helmets, 
but men lying about, waiting, resting, pretending to relax, looking like football players taking time out before the hard game begins once more. Time out. I'm out. Water boy. Water boy. Where are you hiding? Cut the clowning, Eddie. You're not doing so hot today, you know. Oh, listen, Roback. You know what? It's colder than today, this brisk Thanksgiving day. It's colder, far colder indeed. No alibis. Your blocking's been lousy. Lousy. Oh, I heard you the first time. Yeah, I really meant it the second time. Well, I'm saving myself for the big game. This is a big game. What big game? Tonight, at the football dinner. Turkey. Oh, yeah? I saw that new girl of yours, Eddie. You ought to gun for the gal's robe back goes for. Strictly from Shaker Heights. I see you're looking for a bruise, Joseph. The way I hear it, Roback's got some gal who's going to set him up in a shiny office the minute he staggers out of medical school. Comes 1967. One more remark out of you, fat brains, and I'll haul off it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in, Roback. <laughs> I'm in. And Dr. Robert Roback now, invasion bound, is alone at the rail. The Marines grow more restive as the light begins to break. They clean their guns, oil them, even oil the bullets. They say the Japs need oil. Maybe I'm a traitor, huh? Maybe treason's slipping them oil like this, huh? Time in. Gray streaks of dawn off the starboard bow. The Marines assemble quietly in landing units all over the ship. Morning has come over the edge of this improbable, this terrible world of ocean and envenomed islands. And on the horizon... There she is, boys. Land. That's for us, brother. Hey, Doc. There she is. Yes, I see. Yeah. Guess this is it. Um, a cigarette, Doc? Oh, thanks, Corporal. I, I'd like one very much. Oh, gee. I was asking you. Oh. Sorry, Doc. I'm fresh out. Oh, that's all right. Forget it. My wife sends me an extra carton now and then, but with these here tobacco lights in this outfit, a cigarette ain't safe. Are, uh, are many Marines married? This one is. Children? I'd like to show you a tooth that my kid sent me for good luck. A tooth? Yeah, kind of a charm. He's six and a half and tough as... Where is it now? His own tooth? Are you kidding? Don't build no morale sending your own tooth to your old man. It's some other little lug fang. You don't know much about kids, I see. You'll find out. I hope so. What's that? Our destroyer's opening fire, that's all. Just a well-known U.S. fleet going to work. Won't be long now. I guess this isn't like the old college fight, huh, Doc? Not much. Baptism of fire for you, like they say, huh? Yes, from my first action. Uh-huh. Kind of like graduation. Joe Zilt's face is life, you know? Well... A little different, Corporal. A little different. A little different. Oh, a great deal different. It had been beautiful and forever memorable there in Severance Hall, back in June of 38. And tears had gathered in Robert Roback's soul. It was still a boy's soul, although the sober graduation gown sat upon his shoulders along with a solemn degree that... To all to whom these presents come, greetings. 
On the recommendation of the faculty of the School of Medicine, the trustees of the university have admitted Robert Hastings Roback to the degree of Doctor of Medicine upon completion of the requirements for Congratulations, Bob. I'm so glad for you. Thanks, Helen. Huh? I made it. Where are you going to serve your internship? Lakeside, I think. Oh, just so I'm practicing medicine and then a practice of my own. And... Well, that's what I want to talk to you about, Helen. It's going to break Eddie Warren's heart. He always used to say I'd marry some wealthy girl. Oh, yes? I'm merely quoting that grim Warren person. Oh, I don't know. He has a point. Oh, a girl with money doesn't need me to support her. Neither does a girl without money. She can work. I don't want my wife to work. It looks bad. I will if I want to. It doesn't look good. People will think I'm not making a living in my profession. People will say, what you said. Who did? You did. You proposed to me. I did not. I heard you. You finagled me into it. Robert Roback, you're a dog. Dr. Roback, you. I hate you. Isn't I? Thanks. Not at all. And so they were married. Doctor? Not a bit, Doctor. Just scared brainless. Well, over the side you go. After you, Dr. Rayburn. Youth before wisdom. You first. Now get going, son. Get going. Quote, get going, son. Get going. Unquote. Get going, Dr. Robert Roback. You did it before, as the saying is, and you can do it again. Get going. Remember? It was a Sunday afternoon and you were going over your account while your wife, Helen, sitting before the fire, worked on a set of spring draperies for your office. Well, Helen, I'm really getting going now. Looks like people are beginning to think the young doc knows his therapeutics and pharmacology. <laughs> oh, I'm glad, Bob. I do so like to eat. Oh, I'm more than satisfied. It's fine. I don't want to get rich. Just get started. Get started and keep going. Practice medicine the best way I know how until the day I die. Until the day you die, Dr. Roback. And at the precise moment of this, your happy reckoning, another reckoning is taking place at Pearl Harbor in the Pacific. did it before, Dr. Roback, and you can do it again. Get going, that is. 
You're young and eligible, and there are older men to hold the home line in medicine. You're fiercely angry, and you understand the pain, the anguish of the burned, the scalded, the shrapnel shattered, the bullet broken defenders of Pearl Harbor. But don't be hasty. Pace the floor for many a good long night. Make up your mind. An edict has gone out. No. No edict. No mandate or command. Rather, a pleading. An utterance of gigantic human need. Think, good Dr. Roback. Schooled and skilled. And just getting going in your chosen craft. Think. Do you remember the bull sessions in medical school? The undergraduate quibbles over the virtue and validity of the Hippocratic Oath. Remember? All right. I swear by Apollo the physician, etc., etc., etc. So it's very good. Apollo the physician and all the gods and goddesses. And right there is where I quarrel with the Hippocratic Oath. The principles of the oath are correct and unchanging in my very tiny opinion, but... Why should we swear by them according to pagan gods and goddesses? This is a Christian civilization, isn't it? You win. But what's the alternative? Gotta be an alternative. For my money, give me the oath and prayer of Maimonides. Do you remember, young Dr. Roback, the oath, the prayer of Maimonides, who testified to only one god? In the dead of night, in the midst of war, does the prayer commend itself to you again? Remember, the eternal providence has appointed me to watch over the life and death of all thy creatures. Take it, Doctor. May the love for my art inspire me at all times. May I always see in the patient a fellow creature in pain. Grant me strength and opportunity always to extend the domain of my craft. For knowledge is immense, and the spirit of man can extend infinitely to enrich itself daily with, with new sacrifice and, and duty. O oh God, thou... O oh God, thou hast appointed me to watch over the life and over the death of thy creatures. Here am I, ready for my vocation. Helen, are you asleep? No, dear. What is it? Do you mind, Helen? I'm going to volunteer for the Navy. I know. You couldn't. I just decided. I knew long ago. I'm very glad, dear. Thanks. Good night. Good night. And now I turn unto my calling. Oh, stand by me, my God, in this fateful task. Grant me success. For without thy loving counsel and support, man can avail but nothing. Amen. Amen. Better keep down on the boat, Robag. The Jeff Chamber of Commerce may be out in force. After this terrific bombardment... Head down! See? Everyone okay? okay. All right, sir. Still nervous, Robeck? Worried. I always worry. We like warriors. They're responsible fellows. You'll do. I hope so. Don't worry. 
We beat. Now over you go and keep down low. Get in there and practice medicine. Let's go! Dr. Robert Roback is over the side, thigh deep in water, plunging forward. Then the sharp, black shelf of the beach and men being hit all around him. The men hit the beach, pressing themselves against the black sand. No time to scoop even a two-inch hole with their helmets. Just stay down. Make yourself small. No Kate or Oberlin or Baldwin Wallace tackle ever smashed Robert Roback so hard and so close to earth as he now flings himself. Then the next assault wave comes up, sweeping the jungle with its own fire. The Marines on the beach rise and crash forward, driving desperately for the cover of the jungle. The last Marines are disappearing into the trees. Dr. Roback runs across the beach, crouching a few paces behind his comrade of the transport deck, Corporal Jeff, the man without the cigarette. Then... Corporal! Are you hit? Sniper! Stay down! I know it. I'm coming for you. No! Sniper! Take cover! Here I come. No! Don't be a jerk! No! Dr. Roback is on his feet suddenly, crouching and running across the heavy, dragging sand. A spout of black sand leaps wickedly into the air right in front of him as he plunges, face down beside the stricken Marine Corporal, panting and sweating. Made it, soldier. Tojo in a tree. I know. Take it easy, boy. Sorry about that cigarette, Doc. Look, I'm going to try and drag you into the cover of the jungle. <sighs> Give me all the help you can, but don't knock yourself out. Tojo. Do you understand what I'm saying? Check, Doc. Where's the kid's tooth? Tojo in a tree. All right. Let's make it, huh? Roback has his arms around the gravely wounded man, drags him painfully across the sharp black sand, painfully, slowly under the searching telescopic sights of the Jap sniper. The tumult of battle moves away into the jungle, leaving three men behind. Three men. The doctor, the patient, the killer. Tooth! Lucky tooth! They're in the jungle. Doctor and patient. Not safe. Only safer. Now. Now, good Dr. Roback. You who sacrificed a future for this man's future. Turn you now to thy ancient calling. Physician, heal life patient. It's, it's all right, buddy. Okay, so far. Oh. Now. Now. Now, surgeon. Now is the time for all your learning, all your pity, your humanity. Kneel, surgeon, beside your patient. Practice thine art. Let you think. How does it go again? Syringe, morphine sulfate. Brains, one half. Right. The press plunger until a drop of the solution oozes from the needle, then into muscle. <clears throat> Morphine already administered. Remember, mark forehead with crayon. Let the others know not to duplicate dose. Right. Skin, cold, clammy. Pulse? Racing, thready. Patient apathetic. Classic picture of traumatic shock. The answer? Plasma. Normal human blood plasma. The blood plasma unit is set up. The flask taped securely to the butt of a rifle thrust into the earth. Clamp on. Intravenous needle attached. Clamp off. Watch out for air bubbles and tubes. Now. Needle into vein. Ah. So. Fine. Regulate flow of plasma with screw clamp. So. The pale golden light drips swiftly through the glass control chamber. The drops coalesce into a steady stream in the tube, through the needle, into the vein. 
Another sniper has the doctor and his patient in line of fire. Never mind. Stand by. Corporal Jeff may need another unit and yet another, so stand by, doctor. Falter not, physician. You are committed by solemn oath to this, your fellow man. Your life is pledged to him. Your life. Your lifetime. At the end of the first quarter, Western Reserve 7, K-7. Beat case and go to heaven. Shiny office the minute he staggers out of medical school. To all to whom these presents come, greetings. Congratulations, Bob. I don't want to get rich. Synchronize your watches. I just want to practice medicine the best I know how until the day I die. Here am I, ready for my vocation. The degree of doctor of medicine. Corman, ah. you. Yes, sir. Keep down, but get this man out of here. He's had morphine, one unit plasma. Got it? Doc, you're hit. Yes. Be careful. Helen. Yes, sir. I'm going to volunteer. The Navy. I know. Good night. Good night. More than the beachhead, more than a foothold is ours. Many have fallen, most have not. Some who have fallen rise again to tell their children of the combat, and they their children. As for Dr. Roback, wounded in action, if the physician cannot, according to injunction, heal himself, his colleague can heal him. And when the task force clears for other zones and men move forward steadfastly into the fire of the enemy, Dr. Robert Hastings Roback, class of 38, and his kind are with them. And in good time, the conflict must end. The hurt will be remade. The wounded shall not die, for a great art knows its destiny. Thou hast appointed me to watch over the life and death of thy creatures. The faithful science accepts responsibility. I turn unto my calling. Utters a prayer. Or let me ever behold in the afflicted and the suffering only the human being. Amen. Amen. Amen indeed, young Dr. Roback. Ladies and gentlemen, Shenley Laboratories are honored to present Dr. James E. Paulin, President of the American Medical Association, speaking to you from Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Paulin. Thank you, Mr. Massey. Permit me to express my deep appreciation to the Shenley Laboratories for making available to the American people this program dedicated to the work of the physician at home and on the battlefield. The maintaining of a constant flow of physicians from our medical schools to supply the armed forces and our civilian population now and after the war is the most serious problem that faces medicine today. With more than 60,000 doctors in the armed forces and with the Army and Navy taking more than half of the new graduates each year, an alarming situation has developed which in the future may seriously threaten the public health. 
About 3,600 doctors are entering the armed forces annually. Today, there is a deficit each year of 2,200 doctors. The vacancies in the medical ranks caused by death or enforced retirement due to age or illness cannot be filled. The reason for this lies in the difficulty of deferring pre-medical students and in keeping our classes filled with otherwise draft-exempt men or with women. Many doctors who have retired because of age have returned to practice to serve the people in this crisis. As a result, the death rate among doctors over 45 years of age has risen progressively each year simply because of the strain placed upon them by today's constantly multiplying responsibilities. More than ever, the medical profession has been deeply concerned with the problem of supplying better medical service for all the people. Great new discoveries in medicine, like penicillin and the sulfur drugs, blood plasma for shock and for serious wounds, plastic surgery, the repair of nerves, all mean so much to human health and life that every doctor longs to see them made available to any human being in need of them. The problems of medical care are fundamental to the reconstruction and rehabilitation of our nation in the post-war period. The medical profession of this nation is willing to take the lead in planning the evolutionary changes that are bound to occur. This is a humane and patriotic task to which the men and women of medicine have dedicated themselves. It is a task worthy of the loyal support of every American. Our thanks to Dr. Paulin, president of the American Medical Association. The Doctor Fight is a new series of programs about American doctors in action at the front and at home. It is presented by Shenley Laboratories, makers of penicillin Shenley, dedicated to the 180,000 doctors of our country, 60,000 of whom are with the armed forces, 120,000 of whom are maintaining the health of all of us at home. The appearance of Dr. Paulin on this program does not constitute an endorsement of any sort. Next week, over these same stations at the same time, Chenley Laboratories will present Raymond Massey in the second of the series, The Doctor Fights. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.